And uh, Kim Hayes, thank you for being here too. At the last moment, as uh, y'all may have already shared, but Philip is in Florida at a worship conference and his flights were all canceled and he was not able to get back. We're hoping, what, midnight, Lisa, that he will be back this evening. So I know that he anxiously uh, is awaiting trying to get back here at home. And so we're glad that you all are here, that you made the journey out this morning as we not only worship God uh, through singing and praying, but also through the proclamation of his word and the breaking of bread and celebrating the Lord's table. I also wanted to thank all of the DNOW volunteers and leaders, and uh, Kate, you and your leaders, and, and Lisa, and everybody who took part in that. It's just a great weekend. And Isabella, thank you for sharing your testimony, too. Daddy had to run out um, back there for just a minute, and I, I came back, and I heard you start to speak, and I came right back up there as you were talking. So I'm thankful that I got to experience your sharing this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll be uh, reading together verses 1 through 5 of the creation narrative. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As a student growing up in school, I did pretty good. I was not anywhere close to a straight-A student. For me, I, I think the ABCs were pretty good. I learned my ABCs, but that's what I made. And when I got into ninth grade, I was a pretty good math student, got into ninth grade in the school that I went to, Algebra 1 was the math course that most everybody took. And I got into algebra, and my teacher was named Mrs. Parrish. Never forget her. She was a Clemson graduate, and our math room was just decorated with orange tiger paws all over the place. I went to school in upstate South Carolina, not far from where Clemson University is. And I'll always remember the uh, devastating feeling when I opened my report card. They weren't online back then. You had to wait and get the paper copy and I made a D in algebra. I was floored. What would I do? What would my parents say? And I met with the teacher after school and did some extra credit work and all of that. And about midway or so through the next nine weeks, something clicked. It was like just a light bulb went on, the wheels started turning, and I made an A the next nine weeks in algebra and finished the school year with a B-plus average. It was like my eyes were opened. You might say I had an epiphany. The light came on. Maybe you've had an epiphany moment where something clicked in school, or you finally grasped something on the job, or there's a really difficult Bible verse that all of a sudden just comes to light, and you get it, you get it. Or 
maybe some questions and doubts that you had uh, about the Christian faith started to become clear and you could see God working in your life and your situation. This word epiphany that we use commonly in our language is actually a biblical word. It comes from a word in the scriptures that means revelation or appearance or manifestation. It is when God opens our eyes and we are able to see the light. In Titus 2, Paul writes in verse 11 and 13, For the grace of God has appeared, and the Greek word is epiphanae, and and, um, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, the epiphanae of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This appearing, this understanding, this light of Jesus Christ. The early church used this word to refer to the incarnation, to God's self-revelation to us in Christ Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. As one writer states, Epiphany is the shepherds recognizing the Messiah. It's the magi or the wise men acknowledging the king of glory. It's Peter's, you are the Christ. It's the two disciples walking on the way to Emmaus having their eyes opened. It's any time that our eyes are opened to the manifestation of God in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we can say that the experience of epiphany is the most important goal of Christian teaching and preaching. It is the moment when Christ is perceived by the eyes of faith. Teachers, you know when a student starts to get it. Sunday school teachers, you know when somebody lights up in your room these epiphany moments. On this first day of the new year, We reflect on both Old Testament and New Testament passages where the writers point us to God's creativity. The creation itself, which you just heard read, and the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, God's Son and our Savior and Lord, in His baptism and then subsequent temptation. I want you to consider the parallels. There's a lot more to the creation narrative than what I can do this morning, but I wanted to make the connection between the beginning of all that God did and the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. At creation, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. At, in the baptism, the Spirit descends on Jesus as He came out of the waters. God speaks and says, Let there be light, and there was At the baptism, God speaks, you are my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. At the creation, God creates something new. God separates the light from darkness. There is order from the chaos. At the baptism of Jesus, God begins to send him on his public ministry. There's a new way of life and living found in Jesus Christ. And baptism of new followers of Christ are new creations. So you can see God at work in all of this, Old Testament and New. The New Testament scriptures at the time of the Gospels were written. The people were under the regime of the Roman Empire. And so there was darkness, there was difficulty, there was suffering, there was persecution. Israel was not an independent state. The people cannot determine their own destiny. Rome is a great world power and the people of Israel long for God to come and send this Messiah that will deliver them, that will take back the throne of David so Israel can be free again. 
But this Messiah would be quite different than what many of them expected. The gospel reminds us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In similar fashion, the creation narratives in Genesis was a written statement of faith in the midst of horrific times. God's people were suffering. The time was exilic or immediate post-exilic. Jerusalem, the temple, major cities in Israel had been attacked by Babylon and its leaders had been taken off into exile. And even the fall of Babylon did not guarantee freedom because the people were still under the authority of Persians, the Persian rule. In that time, the country that won the war and conquered the areas was seen as the one with the strongest and most powerful God. Questions among God's people hung in the air. Is God strong enough to protect? Did God go away or just not care? Is God sleeping? Should we abandon the God of our ancestors and look at these other gods? And many of them did. And Genesis 1, which was put together to tell their story, gives us that answer that unlike the Babylonian gods, the God of Israel is indeed the one and only creator of all things. The scripture says, in the beginning, God created. One God, the creator of all that exists. In the beginning, God created. When we pair, and God pronounced that everything was good, and when we pair Genesis 1, the first day of creation with the God, Gospel, it's a reminder of why Jesus came to this earth. Regardless of our shortcomings, God loves us and sees us and not only sees us as good, but sees our potential as good, very good. These beginnings, these beginnings are central to our understanding of the way that God is intimately involved in this world and in our lives. I believe that we have two distinct callings as people of God on this um, way of seeing epiphany, a light that comes on when we, our eyes are open to God. Uh, Number one, that we have a call to relationship. Plain and simple. We are called to a relationship with God. God made us, we are His, He loves us, and He desires to be in relationship with every one of us. Despite the fact that sin entered the world through the first family, God still loves us. The God who created everything called us good. The God who created light knew that light is necessary for life to exist. And Jesus Christ, the light of the world, was necessary for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be in a right relationship with God. I never thought about this, and one scholar's writings opened my eyes this week and points out that after creating, God did evaluating. God created, and then God stepped back and said, this is good. And at the end, God said, this is very good. The Hebrew is tov ma'od, very good. Good, very good, that God did some evaluating. But nowhere does the Scripture say that God takes away that evaluation. Nowhere, you can't find it. God never says that we are not good. Now there are times where I'm not very good, but God's never told me, Bob Lee, you're not worth a thing. Despite my sin, despite my my pride, my selfishness, my mistakes, my failures, God has never looked at me and says, Bob, you're a worthless piece of trash. People say that to us, but God never does. 
And the cross is the reminder of that. Many texts reinforce the original evaluation by God. Isaiah 43, 5, you are precious in my sight and you are honored. Psalm 8, 5, you are crowned with glory and honor despite our failings. So I want you to hear this clearly today. Never let anyone tell you you're no good. God created you and called you and me, tov ma'od, very good. Despite our sin, God loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, so much so that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die that we might live. Each of us has to decide on our own how we respond to that call to relationship. During the month of January, we're going to be dealing with call and response as a church. Call and response, how we respond to God's call. Our second calling on this epiphany thought today is we are called to serve. You heard the Johns. Thank you all for your testimony um, this morning as well. You've heard them share how they felt called to serve here. I believe there are two ways that we are called to serve. First, we are called to serve among believers. We minister to fellow brothers and sisters in the church. We care for each other. We help each other. We love each other. We teach each other. And we are called to all the nations. We are called to do justice. We are called to love kindness. We are called to walk humbly with our God. We are called to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, to welcome the immigrant, to give to the needy, to clothe the naked, to look after the sick, to visit the imprisoned. And we are called to go into all the nations to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus Christ has commanded us. Call to relationship, call to serve. A new way of living. How are you and I going to respond to God in these two ways? Let me just try to summarize this story. We're pushed for time, but I think that it's important to hear this. There's a Presbyterian pastor out in the Chicago area, and she tells a story of how a 10-year-old congregant came to her office one day straight from soccer practice. He had a Cincinnati Reds cap on, and he said, Pastor, I want to be baptized. And she said, well, can we talk about that for just a little bit? And he said, sure. So they sat down to talk about it in her study. And he said, we've been talking about baptism in our Sunday school class, the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And the teacher last Sunday asked everybody who had been baptized to raise their hand. And a lot of the kids did, but I haven't been baptized yet, so I want to be baptized. And she says, well, there's more to it than that. Can you tell me what that means? And he said simply, it, it means that I belong to God. Well, that did it for her. She says, well, how about next Sunday? And he said, you mean in front of all those people? She said, yeah. And he, she, she, he says, well, why can't I be baptized by one of my friends out in the river like Jesus? She said, oh, well, um, how would the church know? How would the church know? And she started to reach for her book of order up on the shelf, to, you know, like sometimes we preachers need to, you know, the rules. And before she could even grab the book, uh, the little boy Cameron was his name. He said, they will know by the way I live. She put the book back, 
And I can only imagine that there was a baptism soon thereafter. Um, church, you and I are known that, we, that people know we love Jesus by the way we live. Um, because God has called us into a love relationship with him through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And today we remember how Jesus gathered with his disciples and he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. As often as you meet together, take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. And then he did the same thing and he took the, the cup and he blessed it and poured it out and said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, take, drink, this do in remembrance of me. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this beautiful, cold January day that we can come around your table and break bread together. And help us to give thought and ponderance to the way that you are calling us and how we would respond, calling not only into relationship as a Christian, but also Christians who are called to serve. Help us to seek an epiphany that there's uh, something clicks, uh, that a light comes on, and that our eyes are opened as those disciples were on the road to Emmaus so long ago. Help us to hear your voice today. Help us to see you. Cleanse us from anything that might be a hindrance to our fellowship with you around the table. In Jesus' name, amen.